it is great to see you on this beautiful Easter morning. We're glad you're here to worship with us. We praise God and we can gather together. If you're a guest, whether you're here with us in person or watching online, we want you to know how glad we are you're here. I am the pastor and my name is David. And anytime you feel like coming here or being a part of this place, we'd love for you to come and be a part of it. This is the second of four services we have today. And uh, the first one, you know, God bless us, and we're expecting God to bless us in this one as well. And we thank you for being here. We're in a series entitled The Cross of Christ. It began first of March. It goes through April. It's kind of our Easter series is how we look at it. And uh, in this series, one of the things that I've kind of stated from the beginning, one of the things that we want to make clear, and it's kind of, kind of the, the basically the, the thing that serves as the foundation for what we're talking about is simply this. For the follower of Jesus, everything comes back to the cross. You cannot separate the cross from Christianity. One of the things that I've shared is that uh, when you, you look at Jesus, everything he did in the gospel stories was in preparation for the cross. And then you look at the early church and the followers and everything they did was the result of the cross. And so for us to try, as many try to do, to take the cross out of the Christian faith, you just can't do that. Everything hinges on that cross, on the resurrection of Jesus. We have seen in the month of March basically what we would kind of look at as the fundamental teachings about the cross and in that kind of the doctrinal aspect, if you put the truth about it, from some of the things that Paul said. We have seen uh, the centrality of the cross, that it saves us, that we have seen the, uh, the reason for the cross to, rec- uh, to justify us before God and declare us right in the eyes of God. We've seen the heart of the cross, which is God's love for us last week. We saw the achievement of the cross, that we have been reconciled to God. And now we kind of come in uh, to April, and we're going to look at the gospel writers, including Acts, and we're going to look at, see the, the, the cross and what it means to us, and the cross and how it becomes real to us in our life. And so today we're going to come to John chapter 20, verse 26 through 31, to the message of the cross. What is really the message of the cross? And before we get into the passage, I just want to share this with you. I want you to get this from the message today, that the message of the cross is Jesus is Lord. So, you know, trust him with your life. That's the message of the cross. Jesus is Lord. That is the proclamation of the church. That's the proclamation of salvation. He is Lord. So trust him with your life as Lord. And so as we begin the message today, I'm going to begin with the man they call Doubting Thomas. Even if you didn't grow up in a church, you've probably heard the phrase or heard of Doubting Thomas. And of all the apostles, of the original 12 guys, and he gets the worst nickname of all. I mean, even James the Less isn't, you know, it's not it's less of what, but Doubting Thomas. And, and it's kind of unfair because really, uh, you know, in, in the Gospel of John, you see Thomas speaking about three times. Thomas is really just a realist. He's kind of, I would call him pragmatic Thomas. In John chapter 11, uh, Lazarus has died. He's a good friend of Jesus and the apostles. And, you know, Mary and Martha, his sisters, they're all close. And so Jesus decides to go to Bethany. And this is just a short time before the, the cross event, before, you know, his crucifixion. And uh, Bethany was, was not far from Jerusalem. It'd be like going from here to Oregon or something like that. And uh, uh, it's not far at all. And so they were concerned that if he went there, people, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem would hear about it. They would want to go take Jesus, and they were trying to find a way to kill him. They were concerned about that. But Thomas, just being the pragmatic one, looked at it all and said, you know what? If they do, they do. Let's just go with Jesus, and we'll die with him. I mean, if he's going to die, we'll just go. We're his disciples. We're in here for the long haul. Let's just go. 
Well, that's kind of Thomas. In John 14, hours before the cross, Jesus starts talking and teaching them. Uh, the last time to really teach them, and he says that not your heart be troubled, and trust in God, trust in me. You know, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I do that, I will come and show you the way. And, and they're all kind of confused. And Thomas just says, Lord, we don't know what you're talking about. What, what way are you talking about? Just what is this way? I mean, he's just, just Thomas. Now, understand that Thomas and all the apostles, they had, they had given everything to follow Jesus. Uh, the, after Judas had left, the 11 that were remaining, they were all from uh, Galilee, the same area as Jesus. In fact, the only one who wasn't from Galilee was Judas. He was from the area of Judea. But, you know, we don't know what Thomas did. You know, some of the guys were fishermen. Maybe Thomas was a fisherman. Maybe like Jesus, he was a craftsman. Jesus was a carpenter. He could have been something like that. Maybe he was a farmer. Maybe he was a shepherd. Whatever Thomas was, we don't know. But he left everything to follow Jesus. I mean, all the guys who were his disciples, they left everything to follow him. And they put their faith in him, and they trusted him, and they looked at Jesus as the Messiah. I mean, they believed he was the Messiah. Now, to them, the Messiah was the one who was going to come and defeat the Romans and establish the Jewish kingdom. I mean, he was going to bring back the prominence of God's kingdom, and they were going to be a part of it. But they had faith in him. They trusted him. Somehow they knew that he was God, you know, whether they understood it all. I mean, they got all that. They had seen him do all the miracles. They had seen him bring dead guys back to life. Only God can bring dead guys back to life. So they had faith. And they were waiting for the kingdom to come. And they were excited they were going to be a part of it. And then it's, it's the night of the, uh, of the betrayal. And after they leave the, the, the Passover time and the communion, the Last Supper, Jesus had taught a bunch of things. I'm not quite sure what he taught. They go to the garden. He prays. And then all of a sudden, the Jewish leaders come with this group of soldiers. And they come to arrest Jesus. And now these guys are prepared. They know something may happen tonight. They're prepared because people want Christ's life. And so, you know, Peter's got a sword. Probably a couple other guys got swords. They're ready and they're thinking, okay, this is it. This is, this is, this is the last straw. Jesus is going to just let them have it. He's going to establish the kingdom. He's going to reign. He's going to destroy the Romans. And we're ready to fight. And all of this is going on. And Jesus surrenders. He just gives up. In fact, when Peter cuts the ear off of the high priest's servant, Peter's Jesus says, stop, no, don't do that. And if I want to, I can call plenty of angels to come fight. We're not doing that. He says, I'm here. Just go ahead and take me. And he surrenders. He gives up. If you're Thomas, you're probably thinking that he betrayed your trust. You put everything you had in Jesus. You trusted him. And he just gives up. And he's now taken away. And since you're one of his disciples, that means you're a wanted man also. And so those guys just scatter. And later on, when Jesus is put to death for the Jews, because he's a blasphemer in their mind, by the Romans, they accuse him of treason. And now those disciples become wanted men. But if they can put Jesus to death, they can put those guys to death too. And so they flee. And everything looks lost. Everything looks hopeless, hopeless until Sunday. When Jesus comes out of that tomb, and those guys' lives changed, except for one guy, Thomas. For when Jesus came out of that tomb, he went and he appeared that day to the disciples minus Thomas. He wasn't there. I mean, they saw Jesus. I mean, and they could touch him if they want. But, but Thomas wasn't there, and those guys believed, and so they realized they needed to go get Thomas, and so probably they sent someone, go get Thomas. Go find Thomas. And so they went and told Thomas, and said, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. And they told him what happened, and Thomas said, no, 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 no. I'm not falling for that again. I've been there, done that. You guys say you saw him, fine. I haven't seen him. 
In fact, here's the deal. Until I see him with my eyes, and I can look at where those nail print went in his wrist right here, and I can touch his side where the spear went, because I'm not believing. I'm not doing that ever again unless I see it for myself. I get Thomas. I really do. I give him 100%. I understand exactly where he comes from. I mean, I'm not, one, I'm not the type of guy that's just going to believe on, on just blind faith. I have people all the time telling me they want me to trust them for something. You ever get that? Trust me on this. Trust me on that. Why, why should I trust you? No, you just got to trust me. I want to know why. You know, if I go to the doctor's office, I'm not going to let that guy look at me or that guy look at me unless I see some diplomas on the wall, man. I want to know they went to the med school. I want them to finish in the top 20% of med school. And I don't mean that they've got their degree some med school down in the Caribbean. I mean a real med school. No offense to anybody from the Caribbean. I'm just saying it's what I want. And I want evidence. I want proof of that. It's not, that's what Thomas wanted. You see, his faith was shaken. I get that. It's easy to have your faith shaken. Some of you, you may have grown up in the church. You may have been involved and something happened and your faith now is shaken. I get that. Or maybe you have nothing to do with Jesus at all. Or you're just here because Easter or someone brought you or you promised some relative you'd always come to church on Easter or whatever. But you really don't believe. And, and, and you know, Jesus was real. You believe that. But you don't believe in the resurrection thing. I get that. You need evidence. And I understand that. I've, I've preached two major series about the evidence of Jesus' resurrection. Back in 2016, I preached on it for eight weeks. Went through everything. Last January, I preached on it for four weeks. When I wrote my book, in the middle of the book, there's a chapter about the evidence of Jesus called He's Gone. In fact, what I did, in case some of you really need some proof and need to read something, that chapter, I made it, we made copies of it, and there's a corner over here outside in the comments, a table, and you can get a, that chapter of that book. Now, if you're a member of the church or you believe and you don't need the evidence, don't go take that. There's only so many of them. Leave it for those who need it. I mean, He's gone. He was resurrected. There's a proof to that. See, here's what I know, and this is it. For you to trust Jesus with your life, you need a little more than just an Easter sermon. That's some of you, right? I mean, if you're really going to trust Jesus with your life, you need a little bit more than just an Easter sermon. You need some type of evidence. And so today we come to hopefully give you both an Easter sermon and the access to evidence. Verse 26 of chapter 20 says this. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came to the doors, having been shut. And he stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. Jesus came to the guys again. They, they were gathered. This time Thomas was with them. It was the following Sunday, eight days later. Now, in, in, in that world at that time, when they counted days, they started with the day of. So I, someone the other day said, how could Jesus be resurrected on Sunday when it was the third day? And I said, well, Friday was the first day. You counted the day. It started from the day of. So resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, that's day one. Monday was two. Tuesday was three. You know, you keep counting. Eight is the following Sunday. And so he just came in their presence. You know, the doors were shut and he just appeared. You know, that's, that's always going to be start. That's always going to get you. If the whole place is locked up because they're still a little friend of the Jews and the Romans and he just appears, the first thing he's going to say is peace, peace be with you. It's all right. It's me. And then verse 27 comes to Thomas and he says, reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach here with your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believing. He says, Thomas, come here. Now, he's coming to Thomas. Now, please understand, he wasn't obligated just to come to Thomas. This is not one of those things where you put Jesus to the test and say, Jesus, you do X, Y, and Z, and I'll believe in you. He doesn't work that way. He has given us evidence 
But Thomas was one of the guys, and the other guys have seen Jesus. And it's realistic to say, listen, you, you trusted me once, and I know you do need that evidence. You do need to have a reason to trust me. In fact, he was going to send these guys out to carry out his mission. They were going to go establish the church. They needed to be absolutely sure in Jesus. So he got that. So he said, Thomas, 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 come here. You want to see and you want to touch. Well, here I am. Come see and come touch. And by the way, when you're through with that, stop your unbelieving and believe. Now, believing is something I'm going to talk about in more detail in a little bit. It's basically how we have you know, the faith is to believe, to trust. But here, and really the word believe, is, it's, it's not the verbal form. Believe is a verb to believe. The faith, the same basic word as the noun. And this is kind of written in between. It's kind of an adjective. And, and it really means stop with the not faith and faith from now on. Have faith. So he's saying you've got to have faith. Here, here's what he's saying in essence. Thomas, you need to stop doubting and you need to start believing. You want proof? Is this enough? Is this enough proof for you now? Stop with the doubting and start with the trusting. Now, we don't know exactly what Thomas did. Some things that Tom, think that Thomas went ahead and touched and put his hands on the side because Jesus told him to him as a command that he had to obey. You're being a little, you know, pedantic, a little over-literal with that. Verse 28 kind of gives another impression. <laughs> Thomas just blurted out. He answered, and he said, my Lord and my God. He probably, you know, I would just picture Thomas just falling on his knees. He didn't need to touch anything. He got it. Jesus was there. He saw it. He was there. He says, my Lord and my God. Now, this is the thing. We call Thomas Doubting Thomas, and yet he gives one of the greatest statements about Jesus anywhere in all the Bible. Look at all the New Testament, all the letters in the New Testament. I mean, all the Gospels. You look at this. No one, this is the first of the apostles to actually declare that Jesus is God. Some have said, you know, Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. To be the son of the living God meant deity. They all probably believed that he was God. Thomas is just saying, you're God. You're the Lord. You're God. The term Lord is the personal aspect. Personally, you're the Lord for me, but you're just God in general. Now, the cool thing about this is when John, in putting this letter together, this book together, he begins the gospel of John in John 1.1. 1, 1. And John 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That word that uses, that term for word in the Greek, logos, is, is what's used, and it speaks of Jesus. In other words, he's saying Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was God. And now you have Thomas come in and said, Jesus, you're the Lord. You're God. Is it. It's a great statement of faith. It's the fundamental statement of faith. In fact, Paul would write in the book of Romans, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. In the early church, when people would be baptized, they would proclaim Jesus is Lord. And that Jesus is Lord is the message of salvation. It's the proclamation of salvation. And he says, you're my Lord, you're my God. And then Jesus talks to him again. And he said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they who do not see and yet believe. You, you believe because you saw me. You see me. That's why you believe. Now, he's not chastising Thomas. I hear some commentators and preachers saying that he's getting on to Thomas. Why would Jesus ever chastise or be critical to anyone who has just proclaimed him Lord? I don't ever get that. Thomas just says, you're the Lord and you're God. So he's not saying, yeah, but you, know, you should have figured that out earlier. And he's chastising. No, he's saying, you, you've seen and you believe. That's what I wanted. I wanted you to see. I wanted you to believe. But most people won't get to do that. 
I mean, outside of just a handful of people, early on, the people who believe in Jesus have never saw the resurrected Christ. I mean, these guys did. We know in, in John and the other gospels, some women saw him. In fact, the women saw him first. Paul wrote that uh, in 1 Corinthians that, you know, 500 people saw him at one time. So there's at least one occasion where 500 people saw him. Then James, the brother of Jesus, saw him. We should probably assume his other brothers saw him alive. And then after he ascended, he came back one more time, and that was to Paul. And that's it. Everyone else who believes, believes on the testimony of Thomas and John and Peter and Paul and all of them. They don't believe because they've seen him. They believe because someone else saw him. Someone else encountered Jesus and wrote about it and talked about it and shared about it and they believe because of that. Blessed are those people. The word blessed means to be in the state of salvation. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus lists what we call the Beatitudes, the blessings. And he said, blessed, for instance, are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who mourn. They are in the condition of being saved. Blessed Saved are those who believe and don't see. Because Thomas encountered the resurrection of Jesus, he went from doubter to believer. That's true for all of us. Somehow we have to encounter the resurrected Jesus. It doesn't mean, obviously, that we've seen him personally. In fact, if you told me, you know, you saw Jesus in a vision, and now you're a believer, ooh, I'm going to have to consider the fact that you were hallucinating somehow along the line, or you're just crazy, or whatever. No, how do we encounter? We encounter another way, but all of us have to do the same thing. We don't move from doubter to believer unless somehow we encounter the resurrected Christ in our life. Now, this thing, in this, this series so far, you know, I, I talked about that the centrality of the cross. It is the power of salvation. So that we might be saved. I, I talked about the, the whole reason for the cross. Because as sinners, we're out of kilter with God. And we need to be declared right in the eyes of God. He declares us right. The heart of the cross is that God just loves us. The achievement of the cross is reconciliation. Being right with God again. And reconciled. And now we have this message of the cross. That he is Lord. So the question that you know, really want to ask is, how does all that help me? <laughs> all that's true, but... In life, how does that help me? And John, having written all these things, comes really to the conclusion of his book. Now, there's another chapter to go, chapter 21. That's kind of like the epilogue. You know, if, if you ever read you know, like a novel or something, and then it comes to a conclusion, and you're like, all right, it's concluded. But there's a couple of chapters left because they tell you kind of what happened to some of the characters. Chapter 21 of John is kind of like that. But in chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, really bring it to his conclusion. Verse 30 says this, Therefore, John says, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. He performed a lot of other things. He did a lot of things that John calls signs. The ultimate sign, the ultimate mark of, of Jesus is the resurrection. Now, signs are important. Signs give you information. Like when you come into our facility, our church, our parking lot, campus, and all that, there should be some signs. We hope the signage is adequate. 
You know, it tells you what time services are. It tells you, you know, hey, if you're a guest, you can park here. If you're a, a, you know, an expectant mom or you have little bitty babies or little kids, you can park, you know, over here in this lot. And, uh, you know, dads, when you drop your wife off, you no longer qualify as a mother with a little bitty baby. You're the dad who dropped them off. You go park way at the back somewhere, way back. You know, you come in the building, there's, there's, Welcome center, sign, or science is the restroom. I mean, the, the signs tell you how things are. John, when he wrote his gospel, gave what we call seven signs. You know, Jews were always wanting for a sign this, sign of that. Jesus, what's the sign that you can do these things? And so, from John chapter 2 through chapter 12, uh, there's seven signs. And uh, our, my connect group, which is a, our small group, what we call small groups here, connect groups, we're going through a study uh, from Andy Stanley called Bystander that talks about seven signs. We're through three of them already. But those signs were important. The signs of John pointed to Jesus as the Messiah. There was, the first one was turning the water into wine at the wedding of Cana. And bad, this, we hate that particular sign. We're like, is it really a sign? Maybe it's just a half a sign. I mean, Jesus turned water into wine. And, and then in the story, the wine was the very best wine possible. And we're just like, oh, I can't believe not only did it turn water into wine as a Baptist, it was the best wine available. And it's just, oh my goodness, you know. And then, then he, he healed uh, the nobleman's son without ever seeing him. Then on the Sabbath day, he went to Pool of Siloam. And at the Pool of Siloam, he healed a man that had been lame all his life. Then he fed 5,000 people by turning some fish and, and a couple of loaves of bread into his huge meal. Then he walked on water. Then, you know, he went and took a guy who hadn't been able to see his entire life, and he gave him sight. And then, just to kick it all off, top it all off, and just as there's any question, he took a guy that was dead named Lazarus, who'd been dead four days, and brought him back to life. The guy's been dead four days, brought him back to life. I hear people sometimes say, well, you know, we doctors and nurses bring people back to life all the time that are dead. Yeah, but not four days later. That'd be impressive. It'd be impossible. Can't do it. Jesus did it. I mean, these are the signs. But the greatest sign of all, the greatest sign of all, was the resurrection. And the 20th chapter talks about the resurrection. Some women saw him first. That was unbelievable that women would see Jesus first because women's testimony were not even allowed in court. And the first thing, the first people that Jesus appeared to were women. And then the apostles, and they just began seeing him. And these are the signs. And the Gospels are full of this. The, all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all point to the resurrected Jesus. And then John says something else. In verse 31, this is the kicker to all of that. He says this. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. We wrote these, or I wrote these particular things, especially the resurrection. And then he talks about a purpose and a result. Here is the purpose. I wrote it so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. You might believe. The word believe is the fundamental word that expresses how we are saved. We trust Christ. We give our life to Jesus. It is an active word. The noun faith expresses that we have done so and we have faith. Paul says you are justified by faith. You have faith. You believe. It's the same thing as to trust. It's to give your life over. What you believe is that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That he's the Christ, that he is the true Messiah. The NIV even says you believe that he's the Messiah. You believe that he's the Christ. He is the one, that human, that has come to save. But he's also the Son of God. The idea of being Son of God still is God. It's still deity. Because the word Son references the title that, or that he belongs to. He is God. And so John has begun his gospel saying in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And then in verse 14, he said, and the word became flesh. 
And he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. He, in the beginning, he says, Jesus, this word, this logos, is both God and flesh, God and man, God in Christ. And here, he says, we wrote all this stuff to prove to you what we said at the very beginning, that he is both God and the incarnate one, the Christ, so that you might believe in him. And then he gives the results of believing and that by believing you would have life in his name, in his name, in the character, in the essence of Jesus, in the person of Jesus, you would have life. John writes about life a lot. I mean, life in, in, in this gospel, he's talking about Jesus saying how we can have life. At one point, Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John 10, he said, I came that you might have life to the fullest. Later on, he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. Life is the eternal life, the life that's meant to be. In the Greek language, there's two fundamental words for life. One is bios. We get our term biology, you know, flesh and bones. That's what it means. The other is zoe. Some of you may be named zoe or have a kid named zoe or know someone named zoe. It means life. It's life to its fullest, the way life is supposed to be. When God created Adam, he created Adam and Eve in his image, and then he breathed life into Adam. And he breathed life into Adam so that Adam would have relationship with him. And then Adam sinned and damaged that relationship and damaged life. And Jesus has come to restore life the way it was meant to be, that eternal life, that perfect life, that life with God in Christ. That's it. Here's the thing about John. John wrote about Jesus, so people will trust Jesus with their life. And that's just, John's just saying, this is why I wrote this book. Hey, John, why did you write the book? Here's why. People always looking on you, commentaries and scholars. What was the reason for John writing his gospel? And you hear all these things. And, and he tells you, I wrote it so people would trust Jesus with their life. That's why I showed you all that stuff. That's why all the Gospels were written, so that we could have life in Christ. And so basically, it comes all the way back to the message of the cross. What is fundamentally the message of the cross is this. Trust the resurrected Jesus as Lord, and he will save you. Don't just trust that he hung around and he lived. Don't just trust that he was a person who taught. He trusted he is Lord. He went to the cross, he died, he was raised back to life. Trust that, and he will save you. In college, I took physics, and I had no idea why I took it. Was, I didn't have to. I just I had to take a science. I said, I'll pick physics. And I did lousy in physics in high school. I had no idea why I picked it because I picked it. And so I was at Trinity University, and we had to do this lab experiment. Only we went off campus, and he sent us off to Kitty Park in San Antonio. Now, let me explain something to you. In San Antonio, there's this huge park called Brackenridge Park. It's just north of downtown, right on I-37. Trinity University is just west of that. I mean, it's just west of Brackenridge Park. You leave Trinity. In fact, you drive off the campus. You're in the park. You can almost drive to the zoo. There's a lot of similarities between Trinity and the zoo. A lot of people, same people go, you know, both kind of. You go there. Now, Kitty Park is like centuries old. I mean, it, it, was, it was on the far southeast side of Brackenridge Park at the corner of Mulberry and Broadway. Today, Kitty Park, is, they moved it to the zoo. I've got no idea why, but it was there. I mean, it was there. I went, I went to Kitty Park to have a birthday party when I was little. My sisters had it there. My daughter had a birthday party there. Davy Crockett had a party at Kitty Park. That's how it was. So the physics prof said, you go to Kitty Park and go to the carousel. And he gave us this complicated project, you know, this equation to figure out. We're all trying to figure it out. And listen, I'm, I'm not going to kid you. I mean, I'm not that smart a guy when it comes to physics. But there was one girl who was really smart. And we decided that instead of individually making this equation, we would take the individual assignment and make it a group project. 
that's a really nice way on Easter Sunday for the pastor to say, we were going to copy this girl's answer. And so we all copied this girl's answer. And this girl's answer was wrong. <laughs> we all got it wrong. And so I'm here to tell you, I hate physics. Physics was a complete waste of my time. I don't remember a single thing out of physics. The only thing I got out of physics class was that illustration. It just wasn't worth it. I learned more in physics when I was eight years old and I jumped off the roof of my house and hit the ground. I learned more about physics that day than I ever did in physics class. I don't know anything about physics. And for some of you, Easter, the resurrection, Jesus, the cross is like physics. You've never gotten anything out of it. You don't understand it and it makes no sense to you. But here's the thing. Just because I don't understand physics or like physics or get it doesn't mean physics isn't true. Physics is still true. In fact, I trust physics all the time. If I was to go up on the top of this building, 35 feet in the air, and you would say, David, I'd give you $10,000 to jump off this building onto the ground, I wouldn't do it. Because even if I survived it, I would have to pay the medical bills with that $10,000 you gave me. It wasn't worth it. I, I believe in physics. I trust physics. If you said, I'll give you $100,000 to line up just north of this wall over here and just see if you can crash through it, I wouldn't do that. If I was to lower my head and try to crash through that wall, I mean, I, the only thing that break would be me. See, I trust physics all the time, even though I don't understand it, even though I don't get it. It's true, and I trust it. And here's the thing about Jesus. You may not get it. You may not understand the resurrection. You may not understand the cross. But just because you don't understand it, you don't get it, doesn't mean it's not true. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't trust Jesus. You see, here's the thing. It's not because you always get it or you believe it or you understand it that you trust Jesus. <laughs> you trust Jesus because your life depends on it. That's why. Because in your sinfulness, you've rebelled against God. And Jesus went to the cross and died. And he was raised back to life. And there's all this evidence. And John says, I've just given you all these signs. And I've given you the evidence of the resurrection. I give you all these things so that you might believe. In believing, you would have life. You believe and you trust Jesus because of the sinfulness of your life puts you at odds with God. And while you may not understand it all or get it all, you can still trust Christ. So let me ask you, why? Why don't you come to church today? And seriously, I mean, you say, well, you know, I'm a member. I'm coming. Okay. Or I always come. That's great. Or you know, somebody made you come. I understand that. I was young once. Somebody used to make me go to church. Or maybe you're just saying it was Easter and everybody's coming. I thought I'd sneak in, but it's possible that the reason you're here is that deep down in your life, in the place that only you know about, there is something wrong. And you're like Thomas. Your life has been shaken. Your faith has been shaken. And you don't know who to believe or what to believe, so you just thought you would come here. Because somehow God has let you down, life has let you down, your family has let you down, you're guilty of something that's eating at you, you're lonely, you're miserable, there's just something wrong. And you've come today, and somewhere along the way, whether through the music or through the message, you've encountered Jesus. In encountering Jesus, he is saying to you, come here, come here, stop doubting. And start believing. And today you need to believe and trust Christ to be your Savior. And in just a moment, I'll be here and a few other guys will be here. And I think one of the ladies might be here. And you can just come and say, you know, I need to stop doubting and to start believing.
and you can trust Christ to be the Lord of your life. You want one of us to pray with you, we'll pray with you. If you want to join, you can join. And whatever you need to do today, this is the thing I would encourage you to do. Know that when you leave this place today, you need to leave believing that Jesus is your Lord and your God. So, Father, it's Easter, and we celebrate Easter, and we praise you for the resurrected Christ, and we thank you for our salvation and the joy of salvation. Father, we ask that you would please help those who have never trusted Christ to be their Savior for whatever reason. For whatever concern their faith may have, their faith is shaken, their faith is non-existent, whatever. We pray that they will encounter Jesus today. That man, that woman, regardless of their age, would stop doubting and start believing. Start trusting Jesus to save them. And to know that he is Lord and God. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and you come and we'll greet you.